But what a joy it is for us to be able to come together still around God's word to be encouraged at this time. Um, and so I want to start off with a question of what helps you when you have to wait for something? Uh, and this question kind of comes at a, a unique time of um, being stuck, waiting and isolated and not knowing exactly what's going on. Um, and how easily isolation and boredom uh, can affect our, our moods, can affect our faith, can affect uh, our emotions, and just how we react to things. But I'm reminded of, of what we are looking forward to, and in the meantime, doing what God wants me to do now, at this time. We really can't use that excuse that I don't have time anymore to be in God's Word or to be praying, because we have all the time in the world sitting at home, don't we? More activities, I'm seeing more activities and conversations with family and people uh, actually text back within a decent amount of time. They don't leave you uh, for hours without replying um, because we all have time. Uh, I'm conversing with people whom I don't normally, you know, take the time to uh, reach out to and get the chance uh, to get to know better and to see how I can be praying for them. And so my hope and prayer is that as we are waiting we would be continuing to seek God to grow in the wisdom and knowledge of his word, be more in awe of him and what he has done, and to look ahead with the hope of Christ as our Savior, as we are called to be different in this time. And so I pray that we would be doing that as we are uh, encouraged and challenged by God's word this morning. And so it begs us to question that, is, is he really the one we go to for help when we are called to Wait. Are we waiting on God uh, with patience, with thankfulness, and with hope uh, as we faithfully walk according to what he's called us to? And so this morning we're going to be in Zechariah uh, chapter 6, verses 9 to 15. And so let me read from God's word this morning. And the word of the Lord came to me. Take from the exiles Heldai, Tobijah and Jedediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold, and make a crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch. For he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord." It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Helam, to Tobijah, to Jedidiah and the Hen, and Hen the son of Zephaniah. And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you would diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. The word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father God, may we stand in awe of you, of your holiness and of your majesty and your power as we read from your word this morning. God, your word is truth and may we see it rightly as that. Lord, grant us a hunger for your truth. 
Lord, guide us in wisdom and understanding that we would know the meaning of this text and how it points us to Christ. Lord, increase our love for you and for one another. And Lord, help us apply this passage to our lives today, that we would be challenged and changed by your word. God, through the working of your Holy Spirit, that we would be obedient followers of Christ. Lord, help me to preach your word with boldness and gentleness, that you will be center, that you will be glorified as you continue to save and sanctify your people. God, I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So this passage that we, we just read is, is a point of transition in the book of Zechariah. Uh, we see that he says, And the word of the Lord came to me, which previously we've seen him say, I lifted my eyes and I saw. And so the night visions that Zechariah saw are now over. Through which we see and hear um, of a God who is merciful and calls us to return to him, but also God who knows our sin, who is just and will condemn those who are guilty of sin. And so this section of the crown and temple serves as a structural hinge for Zechariah linking uh, two major sections, the night visions in chapters 1 to 6 and oracles that are to come uh, in chapter 7 and on. And so this is uh, a symbolic act. It's a prophetic act through God's verbal revelation, uh, it's, a, it's a fitting conclusion to these visions that Zechariah has received and has, has shared. As it points to those coming from exile, uh, it's pointing them back to God in obedience, uh, to have faith and to have hope in uh, the coming of the future king and the future Messiah. And so, as we begin looking in verses 9 to 11, It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, uh, take from these exiles uh, who have arrived from Babylon and go the same day to the house of Josiah and take from them silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua. And so the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah and he's told to go and take some specific uh, things, specifically silver and gold, um, from specific exiles whom, uh, being named within this text, uh, were probably well known. Uh, within the community as part of the small portion who returned from Babylon, uh, who came back instead of staying in the land uh, that they had been exiled from. And so these exiles were enjoying hospitality within the house of Josiah, uh, the son of Zephaniah. But Zechariah was told to go to them and to take an offering from them of silver and gold to make a crown. And so the exiles leaving the place where they were from Uh, which they were exiled to, they would have had some wealth given to them uh, as they left as an offering sent for the rebuilding of the temple. But it's interesting that we see uh, that first, Zechariah is told to make a crown. And it's a a picture uh, that God has set in place, this offering which God has first given the people because he's rescued the exiles, uh, whom in his divine sovereignty has rescued them, now uses that offering to make a symbol for them, to point ahead to a future hope. He continues to show his sovereignty and plan throughout this, even in something so small like a crown. It reminds me of young David, a young and small boy bringing down the giant to remind Israel that God was bigger, stronger, powerful, and faithful to his promise. Uh, It reminds me of the loaves and fish 
through that small gift, uh, it was used to feed thousands of people through Christ's miracle, showing God's provision and power and blessing. And it reminds us of our little gifts and how God uh, can and will use them for his glory, to remind others of who he is, to show others who he is. And I'm sure some question why and what it meant, and even you and I at this moment may question, what, what is this crown representing? What does this mean? What was this crown and the crowning of Joshua, the high priest, all about? And so the important thing to recognize is that this was not a political act. Joshua was not the king now, uh, but it was a symbolic act. We can see that as Joshua is not, uh, that Joshua is not from David's line. He is ineligible to serve as a king. And so this crown was not to be worn, but we see later on that it's a symbol that's put in the temple, pointing to God and the Messiah to come. And we can see that in, in Zechariah 3, if we go back, that Joshua and the other priests were to be a sign of this coming branch. The Hebrew word here for crown uh, is actually a plural one, and it's thought that it could relate to Revelation 19.12, which points to the many diadems upon the Lord's head. Uh, It's not a bunch of different crowns, but crowns that were weaved together. And in this case for Zechariah, the crown in which he weaved was made of silver and gold. This crown represents kingship and lordship, power and control and sovereignty, And it's going on the head of not a king, but a priest. Joshua, we should recognize from the vision in Zechariah chapter 3. He was accused. He was dirty and filthy. But God spoke for him. Spoke on his behalf and cleansed him and clothed him. And then sent him out to serve in the temple. And Joshua and the priest are to be a sign of the coming branch of what God's servant would be like, of what he would do, and what he would accomplish. And so Joshua was a, a high priest, the mediator representing God, representing the people in righteousness before God, and the holy God uh, in glory before the people. This crowning of the high priest symbolized the sanctification, uh, which we talked about in our family worship time. The act of being made holy, the sanctification of the crown and of a future king to come who will not defile the crown like kings before, but rule with perfection, with peace, and with justice. This wasn't just any crowning, but a a symbolic one and one that was a sign and a reminder of what God has promised and has planned. And so this is an encouraging message to the exiles, right? Coming with resources to rebuild the temple, Returning to the Lord and this act, this prophetic symbolism points them to God. The one who has remained in control this whole time. The one whose spirit will be working in them and through them to bring about his great plan. The one who's continued to show his faithfulness to them and will continue to do so as the promised branches to come, bringing hope and peace and prosperity. This symbolic crowning of the high priest shows the perfect leader and the coming Messiah. And so as we continue on in in verses 12 and 13, 
we can see uh, these, uh, this is a word from God to Joshua about this man called the branch. It's a priestly king promised. <clears throat> this branch is whom Joshua is representing. And it starts off with this phrase, Behold the man. And it's a phrase that's actually echoed throughout Scripture, uh, pointing to the message of salvation for sinners. All these messages of the Messiah coming together in Jesus Christ. God incarnate, God with us. Joshua, a symbol of the coming priest king that God's uh, people have been awaiting since the very beginning when Adam and Eve first sinned. But what a contrast and, uh, in what they pictured the Messiah to be to when Jesus is brought up before the Jews by Pilate in John 19.5 crown of thorns on his head and a purple robe. And the replies we heard when uh, Pilate said, behold the man, were replies of crucify him. But what a plan God had to redeem his people and what a symbol we see here to the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. This branch who is to come will go, succeed, and succeed farther and do much greater than Joshua or Zerubbabel who was to build the temple. As we look at what the branch will accomplish, we see both priestly and kingly duties being performed uh, as he branches from this place and goes out to all nations. We see that the branch will build the temple, which is the duty of a king and in which a priest works. It was a task of highest achievement. Again, we see the literal and symbolic matters within this concept. And when we do, we see the contrast of, of Jesus Christ and, and the symbolism that this act points to. This statement would have caused some surprise. As we know with uh, previous visions that part of Zechariah's purpose was to motivate people in moving forward the building of the temple and that Zerubbabel would be uh, overseer of the completion of the temple. So what is this branch guy doing saying he will complete the temple? The building of the temple was that of a kingly duty, one from someone who is from the line of David. And so this future temple spoken of is not the same as the one being built brick by brick in Jerusalem, but person by person in the whole world, united by Christ Jesus. Like the promise to David in 2 Samuel 7, verse 13, he shall build a house in my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Something that can only point to Christ. And so, uh, what a future picture, this temple, a place where God meets his people to atone for their sins. <clears throat> However, it is in fact Jesus who is the builder of God's true temple. Jesus did more than just build the temple, but even became the temple in his incarnation, being the place of sacrifice where we meet God and our sins are atoned for. This temple unites the duties of both king and priest, being both built and the one who will reign as priestly king. A temple for all nations to come and to worship God. The temple of Christ will be much greater than Zerubbabel. This temple is the church. God's people in and through Christ will be built up as a spiritual house 
to be, a, uh, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, as it says in 1 Peter 2, 5. And in Ephesians 2, 22, who in him Christ are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are the temple both individually as the Spirit works in us, but also as a church together. Though so little of the final glory of this temple is seen right now, we should gather by faith with awe for God and worshiping Him and doing the work that He calls us to that will last forever. This temple goes far beyond what the people themselves even thought when they heard from Zechariah. But this branch will also bear royal honor as he sits on the throne. He will not only build the temple, but will also be clothed with majesty and sit on the throne. But a king who will do what's just and right, because this isn't just a royal king on the throne, but a priestly king on the throne. This enthronement normally would not be possible, but it points to a new time. The old covenant kept the powers between uh, priest and king apart. A king was not allowed to perform the priestly duties, but now there is this union that's happening. The king who set the moral and spiritual tone, who represented the people before God, and the priest who is the mediator between holy God and guilty man, the one who offers sacrifice for the people for their holiness before God, are now being joined together in this one called the branch, who sits on the throne, who will bring rule and gentleness, sacrifice, justice, and bring about true peace and prosperity. But in what a way Jesus Christ did so. Creator of the world came to earth as a babe, who did not sin, yet was falsely accused, who was crowned with thorns on his head, clothed in royal purple robes, beaten and mocked, who carried his own cross and died upon it, the sign King of the Jews over top of his head. Jesus Christ, who came to earth to be our mediator, to make us righteous before God. But that meant going through a brutal death on the cross and taking on our sins upon himself, bearing the guilt and shame and wrath of God's judgment on himself, that we could be saved. If we put our trust in him, if we believe that he truly died, but didn't stay dead, but that in three days God raised him from the dead, that he ascended to heaven, enthroned as our king to reign forever as our priest king. And so he calls us to believe and to turn from our sins, living in a new life and right relationship with God through what Jesus accomplished, gifted with the Holy Spirit to continue to sanctify us to be more like Christ. As priest, Jesus offered sacrifice to satisfy God's judgment on our sin. And after being raised by God from the dead, he brought that sacrifice before God's throne. God exalted him as our king. And this union of priest and king is a perfect union of a ruler, of Jesus Christ, our Lord. As Hebrews 8, verses 1 to 2 declares, Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, 
one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent, that the Lord set up, not man. This is the temple, and this is the priestly king, in which we are called to come and confess that Christ died for us, or else we do not come to God at all. This is where true peace and union with God is found. And he calls us to come to do that. And if you haven't, then there isn't that peace and relationship that you can have with God through Jesus Christ. And so lastly, we see that this priestly king is anticipated. In verse 14, Zechariah is uh, called to put the crown in the temple as a reminder, a reminder of what has been promised by God. That what God has promised will indeed come to pass. And I'm not a a husband yet, but I know that I need reminders all the time. Uh, So wives, it's not a husband thing, it's it's just a human thing. I think we all need reminders. Uh, We all need to be reminded uh, of things all the time. Uh, We all need to be reminded of, of God's truth because we can so easily stop believing in it or stop having faith in it. We need reminders of our hope and, and who our, our faith is in, not in man, but in God. We need reminders of what we are called to do and why, because we're just so bad at obeying. God gives us reminders, and he continues to do so, and he does so for these exiles. This crown was to be a reminder of God who brought them out of exile, a reminder of a God who faithfully provides, a reminder of a God who is to be the king and ruler, a reminder of a God who rules with justice and seeks to bring about peace, a reminder of the Messiah to come, the one who will save them and restore relationship between man and God. But this symbolic reminder for God's people is also to not have them to just sit idly waiting. But in anticipation, continue to live in obedience and faith. Zechariah tells of those coming from far off, right, pointing to other exiles who will be coming to help Zerubbabel with building the temple, solidifying Zechariah's message that he just shared with them. As these things come to pass, as a temple is built and is completed, and we know that it is, the people will be reminded of the other promises that God is, uh, is going to continue to meet. One being this promised Messiah, this branch, who is to come, who will rule as king, who will sit on the throne, who will restore that relationship between man and God as the high priest. It assures the hearers and the future hearers of this message, assuring them to continue to walk in obedience, as we see in verse 15. This shall come to pass if you would diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. We are called to continue to walk in obedience, even when it's difficult, even when we're just called to wait, and we aren't always seeing these things that we think should be accomplished at the time that we think they should be done. But God has a plan. God has a will. And he's 
uh, willing to use us to bring about his amazing plan for this world. But we can continue to look to him in these times. God's people have many ways to remember God's faithfulness. As we're called to return to him, he reminds us that he will return to us, having continued to be faithful, to keep and fulfill his promises. And he calls us to faithfully trust and walk in obedience. We can remember God's faithfulness for these exiles. They looked through the temple and they looked to this crown. And for us, we can look to the crown of thorns, the empty tomb, and the cross on which Jesus died to point us to our internal salvation and the hope that we have as we continue to walk in obedience to God. As we look ahead with this undying hope for Christ's return and for sin to ultimately be defeated, for Christ to return and for peace to be restored forever, eternally worshiping and glorifying our God forever in his presence together as his church, as his temple. So, so what? What does this call us to be and to do? It's to remind us that Jesus, our priestly king, calls us to rest in him with faith, with hope, and obedience. It's nothing new, but like God's people, we constantly need reminders of this. We need to be reminded to have faith that our promises that God has set out will be fulfilled. We need to be reminded of God's faithfulness. But so easily, our faith can fault in times of waiting. How quickly do we worry and get anxious and complain about what's happening and the circumstances that we are in? And how much time do we spend in God's word and in prayer and resting in his hope and trusting in him? Even in a time like now, how are we seeking to trust in God in this untimely and uh, confusing and chaotic situation? Are we resting in his word? Are we resting in his truth? Are we trusting in him? As he continues to call us to uh, share his hope in Christ. Are we continuing to be obedient? to build the temple, the church, in anticipation of his return, to obey his voice? Or are we quickly turning away and turning to other things to bring about hope and doing what we think is right? Are we submitting to God's rule and authority as our king, to what he calls us to by his word? Let us not turn quickly from God, but come to him to seek out what his will is for us, that we will obey his word. And are we looking ahead with hope? Hope in Christ. The hope that God remains in control, knowing that he will. That he ultimately wins. That sin will be defeated. That this too will all come to pass. And knowing that God will be glorified in this. What is your hope set on? You can really find out when difficult situations arise. Because if our hope is in Christ, then that hope cannot be taken or destroyed. It lasts forever. And so let us be reminded that Jesus, our priestly king, calls us to rest in him with faith and hope and obedience. That we would look to the reminders that God has set before us. 
to remind us of who he is, that he is worthy to be glorified, and that he has saved us in Christ Jesus, our high priest, our king, who will continue to show us his will and his way and continue to be glorified as we seek to do uh, his will in obedience. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father God, we thank you that you remain in control. God, we thank you for your word as a reminder to us. Uh, in Zechariah, God, as um, you uh, told Zechariah to do this symbolic act to show uh, the exiles and those who are coming out of exile uh, of who you are, God, of your promises, of your faithfulness, God, and, and further promises of Jesus Messiah to come. God, the one who will restore that relationship uh, because of our sins, God, that uh, separated us from you. But God, we thank you for Christ, that we have the cross, that we have his sacrifice, that he took on our sins and our wrath, uh, your wrath, God, uh, your judgment on, on him. God, that was meant for us. But God, we, we look to that with hope and anticipation of Christ's return. God, help us to continue to walk in obedience to you, to walk with hope, to walk with faith, as we seek to do your will, God, in this time, uh, as so many are, are in fear uh, and in worry. And God, and uh, I pray that we would be different, that we would shine your light, that you would be glorified, and God, that your gospel would go and be proclaimed uh, to all people. God, let us not fear man, but let us fear you and you alone. As our king and as our high priest, God, we rest in Christ. And God, for those who have not put their trust in Christ, God, I pray that you continue to work in their hearts and that they would come and seek you, knowing that as they return to you, God, you will return to them. God, that uh, you have called us to live differently, but God, that it is in Christ and Christ alone that we can do that by your Spirit working in us. And so, Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would be glorified in this week, that we would continue to seek to do your will and walk in obedience and in hope and in faith. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.